You're listening to Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Real Conversations is sponsored by Boys Town. Boys Town has been saving children, healing families for over 100 years. Also by Lane Frost brand, made for the champion in you. Be sure to use Jacob 15 to save on anything and everything Lane Frost brand. As the world continues to have Stanley Cup fever, my guest this week is another hockey fan favorite. He's probably best known for his eight NHL seasons with the Philadelphia Flyers, where he was an enforcer. He was also a coach for the AHL Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Not content with just a successful pro hockey career, he's an advocate for making a positive difference in the world. He has formed a foundation that has helped countless people, which we will talk a little bit more about. He also has a podcast, Nasty Knuckles, with his co-host, Derek Nasty Settlemeyer. You know, my guest this week is the enforcer himself, Riley Cote. You know what time it is. It's time to keep it real with Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Hey, boys, Riley, Derek, welcome. Thanks for having us. Good to see you guys. Yeah, yeah. So you guys got a podcast, Nasty Knuckles, how did that come about? Riles? Yeah. yeah well, uh, you know, Nasty and I have been boys since, uh, I joined the Philadelphia Phantoms back in 04, 05 season. Nasty was already there. We hit it off. We had a friendship throughout my, uh, my, you know, my, my time in Philly. Um, and then when I retired, I got into coaching. And after that, you know, Nasty you know, obviously kept in touch and, uh, we obviously still passionate about the game of hockey and, we have a ton of connections and a large network and relationships. And we just uh, came together and, and thought it, it only made sense to put something together and, uh, and to sit down and, and have some fun with uh, former teammates and, and just guys uh, in the network, flyers, alumni and the whole bit. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it's, it's great, man. And uh, I've, I've had a couple of different guys with podcasts from the hockey world. Ron Duguay has been on the show. Um, of course mm-hmm. I had, uh, Scotty Upshaw and Shane O'Brien from Missing Curfew. Tell me, guys, what makes your guys' podcast stand out from the other hockey podcasts that are out there? Well, I don't, I don't know if we stand out, but we're right now we're, we're kind of Philly centric. We have a lot of the, the Flyers on. We have a lot of guests, former players that played for the Flyers. Um, so we're, we're I think we're unique that way. There are a few other uh, podcasts in this area, but um, we're lucky enough, uh, Riley playing for the team, me working with a team for 25 years, uh, to have those relationships and we get the guys, you know, in, in studio, as we call it, this is my shop, but this is where we shoot the, uh, the podcast. We call it, we, we call it the studio, uh, throw a couple lights up slash man cave all, slash know, all of a sudden it's a studio, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't think we're anything special, but we have a blast doing it. And, um, it's, uh, really built some momentum and we're having a lot of fun with it. Well, for those Philadelphia fans, I'm sure it, it's definitely etched out its unique spot. Yeah, you know, it's it's mainly because of, to be honest, Riley was such a fan favorite here. Uh, as you know, uh, this this town in Philadelphia is a blue collar type town and uh, they love players that were passionate about the team and a team player and and a guy who were willing to drop the mitts. Uh, when it, when he had to, and, and Riley did that for, uh, quite a while here. So, um, it really, uh, he, he brings a lot of attention to us, which is great. Oh, heck yeah. Well, who's your guys' picks for the Stanley cup? After <laughs> game one and two, I would have said, uh, Colorado, but the Tampa comes back like they always do and shows that they just know how to win. So I really, I, 
I feel like if Kucherov's not going to be able to play along with Point, I just don't know if they can do it. Uh, Tampa, I don't know if they can do it, but um, I, I think Colorado's going to win. That's my pick. All right. You, Riley? Yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to bet against Tampa, you know, just having built that culture of winning. And, and like Tanasi's point, they just find ways to win. They know how to win. Um, but, um, you know, there's something special about this Colorado team. And I, I, I think I think Colorado's going to take this. Nice. You heard it here first, guys. So I'm going to ask this. Just so you know, Jacob, we, we've made a lot of predictions. <laughs> I'm not sure we've ever been right. <laughs> so, any bets out there? Yeah, we have a contest with our, uh, uh, with our show. Uh, I'm not sure who's winning, but uh, I definitely lost out after the <laughs> second round. I was done. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I I pit going to the finals, so I was way, way off. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, you've, you've been asked this question probably a thousand times, Riley, but I'm also going to throw this to you too, Derek. How did you guys get your start in hockey? Take me from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, just growing up in the middle of Canada, Winnipeg, Manitoba, parents had Winnipeg Jets season tickets, Naturally, most Canadian kids play hockey to some degree. Started on the street, the pond. And then five years old, started playing half ice hockey. You know, with actually some structure. And, you know, it was just, uh, it, it was, you know, um, for, from then on, it was a dream to play in the NHL. So it was it essentially ingrained in my DNA to be a hockey player. There's been you know, loving the game ever since. Nice. How about you, Derek? Yeah. I, I was very lucky. My, my father, uh, Dave Sudsy Settlemeyer was the trainer with the flyers for a long time. So I had that itch growing up that I just liked being around the rink when I was able to visit. And, uh, when I was in college, I, I guess right before my junior year, I really started thinking about, it. I actually wanted to be a basketball coach. And then I just kind of started thinking about it. I would visit my uh, dad and I'm like, maybe I want to get into this. And so when I graduated, I was fortunate enough, Bob Clark, got me a job in Florida with the Florida Panthers with him and my dad. And it started from there. That was 93. I'm showing my age right now. 93, <laughs> 94 seasons. Nice. Uh, so that's really how I got started. You know, it's a lot like uh, the acting world, especially in the television side of, you know, behind the cameras, you know, it's such a, a group of these guys that have been in the union. And if there's an opportunity for one of their family members to slide in, they're going to fill that spot. That lighting design guy is going to have his son come in or that camera operator is going to get his nephew in there. So would, would you say it's the same thing in hockey? It, it was for me. You know, I, I have a lot of people. I, I mean, I was fortunate to, to work in hockey for so long and meet so many great people. And I have so many people like email me or if I meet them, they're just like, man, how do I get my foot in the door? I'm like, I was lucky. I was like super lucky that I didn't have my dad. It's not like what I knew, like you're saying, it wasn't what I knew because I, I was so green when I started, but uh, I, I agree with you. It's, it's, if you can get your foot in the door by someone, a lot of people do that in hockey. Like there are a lot of people that do work that they're probably their dad was in the league or worked in hockey. So it definitely helps. <laughs> um, I probably would have had a way longer path to the NHL if, if I had not been so lucky with my dad working. Yeah. And hockey. Well, you know, there's honesty there, you know, and, and, but it's, it's not about what, you know, it's about who, you know, Yeah. so many times in life, but for Riley, now you also work behind the goalpost as a coach. 
Did you specifically ever have a special mentor in your life or a coach that that stood out to you? I've had a couple along the way. I would say John Stevens is my first coach, actually my, my, my second NHL coach, but um, you know, the coach that kind of, that I identified that he really, really believed in me. Uh, we hit it off, you know, just on a personal level. I just appreciated his style of coaching, the way he communicated to me. And I, you know, I, and looking back, I would say he's, he was a mentor to me at the time. He was like a coach, but I think he was more than that. Um, there was some personal stuff too. He helped me with, um, I'm just an overall great guy. Like I said, great communicator. And um, I actually saw him the other day at the Flyers alumni golf tournament. So it was nice to see him, but yeah, I would say him, he tops the list as far as a uh, coach mentor. That's really helped uh, shape who I am. Yeah. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. Now as an enforcer, I mean, we know, we know what that means, uh, but for, the audience member that's out there. Can you explain what an enforcer is in hockey? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the role has diminished significantly since I retired in 2010. But, you know, at one point uh, for a long period of time, there was a, a real specific role for, you know, quote unquote, the enforcer and essentially um, a, a player or, or, or two or three on a team that uh, are there to self-police, right. To take care uh, of the team protect their teammates, um, generate energy when, um, the time is needed, some momentum, um, you know, poke, poke the hornet's nest now and then to, you know, to again, generate some sort of reaction, wake the guys up, whatever it lands up being, but, um, mainly there to protect, uh, your, your teammates, your star players, protecting your investments um, as an organization. Um, so that's, that's really kind of it. Um, it. Again, like I said, the role has diminished significantly. They're really trying to take out fighting. There still is fighting uh, in, in the league. However, it's more spontaneous than, you know, absolute acts of self-policing and accountability, but it still, it still exists, um, but on um, a much lesser role. Yeah, no, I was talking a little bit about that with uh, Scotty Upshaw and, and uh, Shane, of course. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's always one of my questions because I listen to baseball a lot and I watch a lot of baseball and I hear the commentators always talking about how much the sport is changing. And that's something we were talking about. And that specifically came up where, you know, they're they're blowing the whistles a lot more. Um, and but he, they said they were pleased with the uh, so far with the playoffs. They're kind of letting things go a little bit. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's like generally the case in playoffs, you know, as the season's such a grind and, and the refs, you know, uh, maybe I'll, I'll allow a little more, um, you know, less, less penalties, less whistles, less guys plays, you know, play it out a little bit more um, because it is, it's a, another dimension of, uh, of playing hockey, right? The intensity is increased. The passion's increased, right? Um, so it, I think it'd be foolish for the for the refs to get too involved. However, they need to call a hockey game and and, and keep it fair. But um, I, I think generally in the playoffs, they seem to let things go a little bit more and and, and let guys express their uh, their passion and their uh, you know their <laughs> the, the their fire. Yeah, exactly. How about from your point of view, Derek? From your side? Yeah, I agree with Riles. They, you know, like you don't want to take the emotion out of the game. And if every time a guy pushes another guy and you throw him in the box, I mean, it, it just, it takes away from it. This is it's the hardest trophy in sports to win. And when you, when you've done it and you've been there, and even if you're watching, you see how passionate these guys are. I mean, they'll do anything to win. Um, and you don't want to see the refs 
kind of get in the way of that. I understand that you can't be stick swinging and it's not like it used to be, uh, you know, back in the day, but uh, I, I like the way they've refs this, you know, this whole playoffs, really, there's been fights, you know, uh, during the playoffs, which is, is great to see, not because you want to see someone get hurt, but that emotion, that passion, and it just, it gets everybody going like that. And that was, you know, a lot what Riley did for his team, like he was explaining. So I, I'm, I'm happy with the way it's been officiated. Sure. I would have hate to have been the guy on the wrong side of Riley. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> just looking at you, dude. I'm like, dude, you might need to take up a career in the UFC. Yeah, uh, guys, much scared than myself. He's 40, he's forty pounds lighter than he was when he played. Yeah, exactly. Shane was yeah, saying I'm, that I'm in fighting shape. Shane was saying yeah. that he like he he dreaded it sometimes the fighting. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean it's 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 hard to really communicate in language you know, because it's this, this chronic state of anxiety that leads up to the fight. I always say like the fight itself was the easy part. It was like all the emotional baggage that came along with preparing to fight. Right. It was like the night before or the, you know, the, the, the day of nap, you know, and then, and, you know, in game time, like knowing on the other side that there's one or two guys, you know, like me that are preparing to fight and, and there's nowhere to hide. So there was more of that emotional um, component of it that was mentally draining um, however, you know, the, the fight itself, like I said, it was like, once you're in it, you're in it, right. There's no, there's nowhere to go or hide. You, you, you're in it. But I think, um, leading up to the fights, you talked to a lot of these, uh, enforcers, tough guys, that was, you know, the, the biggest, um, you know, thing that, that that's talked about is just that, that emotional roller coaster of wrapping yourself up fighting and then, and then mentally preparing to do it all over again the next night or two nights, uh, you know, down the road, how, whenever it is, but you, you almost know who you're fighting anyways. It's the biggest guy, the guy with most, most penalty minutes. And, um, again, like if you're the guy, if you're, if you're the tough guy, you, you can't be spot picking and, and try and go after like the third or fourth toughest guy. You're, you're fighting the toughest guy or second toughest guy, right? I mean, that's just your job. So yeah, emotionally draining, I would say for sure. Yeah, no, I could imagine. And I would imagine just the recovery time too would probably be a little bit. I mean, I'm, uh, what kind of injuries have you sustained over the years? <laughs> well, clearly my nose. <laughs> Which one? That nose. <laughs> a couple of times. I could probably use another surgery on that. Um, you know, a wrist, like torn ligaments, uh, a finger, dislocated finger. Uh, and I, I mean, oh, my eyes, my eye surgery was actually from a stick, not a fight. Um, uh, broken sinus, um, just, just, just general wear and tear like that, you know, concussions, obviously had a few of those. Um, but you know, that being said, uh, I, I feel like I've left the game quasi healthy and I obviously done a lot of work on the back end to, to, to increase that, that wellness. But, um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of guys retire the game and, and they're pretty bad shape. So, you know, part of, part of that might've been my decision to retire earlier than a lot of players, um, you know, knowing where my physical body stood, you know, my mental acuity and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, I'm grateful for the experience and and the traumas along the way, because uh, you know, it's put me where I need to be. Well, let's talk about that healing process a little bit. I know that you use cannabis during for pain relief during your career and co-founded athletes for care. Can you tell our listeners how you got started and what Athletes for Care is all about. 
Yeah, sure. So yeah, building off that last uh, you know, co- comment I made about, you know, me retiring at a young age, 2010, um, I was 28 years old, I had another year on my contract. Uh, I was, I was, I was banged up, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you know, a little bit of, um, uh, you know, experiencing a little bit of like, you know, unfulfillment, if you will. Right. And, and just kind of like, where, where, what's the next step? Where, where am I headed? Uh, I, I could kind of see the the writing on the wall is probably get sent down to the minor leagues the next year. But again, my, my body, everything was kind of like beaten up and I just didn't necessarily feel like I wanted to go back into the jungle the next year. And, and you know, if it was in the minor leagues fighting all these young guys full of piss and vinegar that wanted to, you know, punch my face off. So uh, I made a decision to retire. And it was in that moment, you know, um, when I decided to retire that I started to understand, you know, cannabis in a more therapeutic and healing um, manner, you know, psilocybin mushrooms and these natural healing alternatives to the traditional protocols that are generally, um, with, you know, aligned within sports and society, right. It's, it's painkillers, it's sleeping pills and alcohol traditionally to self-medicate. Um, so my last surgery, um, my, my nose actually, and my finger, I, I just chose to use cannabis and, and essentially, um, flush the pills down the toilet and um, just had a better understanding of, of cannabis as a pain management tool, historically one of the, the, the most used and most powerful pain management tools without um, that really deadly and toxic side effects of, uh, you know, what an opioid may do for, you know, its addiction uh, properties. Um, and then just start understanding these different ratios of cannabinoids, not just THC, which we all, you know, been introduced to through the flower of cannabis, but then also like CBD and, and, and some of these other minor cannabinoids that are highly anti-inflammatory and, and actually do promote neurogenesis and our neuroprotectant properties. And then the same thing with the mushrooms. That's been a huge, huge, huge um, yeah, aid as well as hard as far as healing the brain. Um, but then the biggest, you know, let's say the biggest thing around transition and healing is not, you know, yes, we're healing the brain, you know, the, you know, the biological co- component of this, but there's a spiritual um, piece of retiring from probably anything, but specifically in cis sport, I mean, probably you see this a lot in, um, you know, in, in the veteran world where your, your identity is so embedded and so ingrained into your, into your job as an athlete. And I was, you know, an athlete. And then I kind of took on this role of the enforcer. So like my ego and my identity was so, so, um, ingrained in that. So I, I felt, I feel like these, these tools helped me, um, help me transition uh, into the real world and help me kind of shed the old skin and kind of help me find uh, a new identity, new purpose. And that was really kind of how athletes for care came to be as I started becoming more passionate and vocal about cannabis and and psilocybin and some of these alternative healing um, modalities. Uh, I started running to different athletes with similar type of stories, concussion related issues, pain management, addiction issues, uh, identity crisis and transition to the real world. So we kind of kind of formed officially Athletes for Care in 2017 um, with, you know, five other athletes, including um, the daughter of Ed Snyder, who uh, founded the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, her name's Lindy Snyder. She sits, she's the chair of the board and just kind of formalized this and said, guess what? We're going to use our sports uh, platform and our stories to help normalize and destigmatize some of these issues that 
um, the world's been plagued with not just the sports world. These are just extensions of societal problems, right? I mean, addiction, mental health and all yeah. this stuff. So, you know, naturally cannabis fits right in there, you know, psilocybin, yoga, health, wellness, all these things, right. They're all integrated. Um, but we're just using the sports platform, using our stories to, to share and hopefully make change. Well, you're definitely making a change. I can tell you as a recovering addict of opioids myself, um, cannabis has been a, a, a great way for me to deal with the uh, mental health and issues that I've had over the years. Um, you know, I sustained injuries from motocross racing and, uh, you know, that's how I ended up getting hooked. And it's just like a vicious cycle it just keeps on going and going and you're hiding it. And, um, it's great that, uh, you, you know, you, you're, you're talking so openly about it and i and it's great that the States, you know, the you know, government is finally deregulatizing it in most places. And obviously some places, obviously it's legal. So that's, that's great. A step in the right direction. Tell me, so it, I know it falls in the same thing, but you also founded hemp Hills foundation. Can you educate our listeners about yeah. the benefits of hemp? Yeah, that was actually the first progression. So when I retired, it was, uh, that was kind of like my first introduction to speaking for the trees, right? Speaking for the plants and, and standing for something larger than myself. So that was uh, back in 2011. I, you know, I threw a, a small music festival in Philly called the Hemp Hills Music Festival. And it was a 501c3 just to kind of raise awareness around cannabis not so much just as medicine, but as an industrial resource. So really bringing awareness to, you know, the, the nutritional profile, the hemp seed, you know, the, 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 the vast long fibers for textiles and clothing. And then, you know, all these layers of what cannabis is, right. I mean, um, cause most people just think of cannabis as the small fraction of, of what it is, as just medicine, which, which it is. And it's an amazing medicine, but the industrial applications of the hemp plant are so much more, um, um, than just that component. So it was just kind of raising awareness around that. And then as I started banging the drum and speaking, that's really kind of how it evolved into Athletes for Care, just using more of my sports platform with a collective group of, uh, of athletes to really kind of hone in and, and really talk more on the on medicinal side of things because I was realizing that, holy shit, like people are really struggling, you know, like my focus needs to go more on that healing than, you know, maybe more than the, you know, into the whole industrial applications of the hemp plant. So that's kind of how it got refocused more into that uh, world of sports. Now, so, you know, it, psilocybin is not something that's new. Obviously there's been a lot of talk about it, Portland, Oregon, or Oregon. It's obviously, it's been deregulatized there, but people are able to buy and purchase it. Um, talk about the effects of healing the brain and why, it's making such an impact on people that have been in a situation like, like yourself, you're an enforcer, you're fighting, you're taking licks to the head, concussions, PTSD. How does it help? Um, well, you know, you know, on the, on a biological level, from my understanding, it's, 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 it's promoting neurogenesis, neuroplasticity. So there's actually some new, new connections happening in the brain. Right. I mean, I think with, with repeated head trauma, obviously there's damage there. Um, but it's not exclusive to, to TBI and concussions, right? I mean, whether you're talking about anxiety or depression or, or really any sort of mental health or brain uh, issue, what it's doing is, 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 is reconnecting, regenerating the brain. Um, so from that component, from, from that standpoint, it makes a ton of sense why, um, why anybody would, would, would try to, um, tap into the healing powers of psilocybin. And, and then there's like this, these, these more esoteric and spiritual components that, you know, like the, the medical world or the Western world really doesn't want to address is, is, 
is is more of this you know component of like self love and, and and oneness and and you know just self respect and and healing right because these experiences can be pretty profound but if you're going to go back and you're just going to live the same way you lived before you're not going to make a ton of progress and in integration so i think it's kind of showing you um how to take care of yourself a little bit more um, in my opinion like like the Western world identifies anxiety and depression and some of these things as extreme medical issues. And from my experience, these, these are spiritual issues, right? I mean, when you start, when you, when you start you know, deviating away from the natural laws and start deviating away from things that promote wellness and mental wellness, spiritual wellness, naturally um, the body is going to be imbalanced. Right. And then, and then it just kind of manifests itself into these different mental health issues that, that we talk about all the time and we just want to medicate them with drugs. Right. But we don't want to get down to the nitty gritty and the root cause of where these things are coming from and, and, and how to, and how, and how to, to heal them. So um, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, there's, there's absolutely um, neurogenesis and neuroplasticity happening, um, high anti-inflammatory. So obviously with TBI, concussion-related issues, a lot of inflammation there. Um, but then above and beyond that, there is something very, um, you know, um, mystical and, and, and spiritual happening there where it's, it's kind of finding those deeper layers of where some of this trauma lies and, and addressing it, you know, and, yeah. and being truthful with it. So, man, awesome, awesome, awesome. Great answer. I, you know, I think actually, are you friends with Ron Duguay? I've met him. I've spoken with somebody, him. Yeah. Somebody, somebody, it was a while ago when I, when I had him on the podcast, he was like, you need to talk to this guy, but he, it might be just another hockey player that's also following that same line of natural healing. But uh, but I haven't heard from Derek in a while. I mean, are you doing some natural healing right now? Because I, <laughs> I, I do. I, I uh, more of uh, anxiety and sleep. I haven't been punched in the head quite as many times as uh, Riggs there. Uh, but it, it's it's amazing what I've what I have seen. You know, uh, going back to what you just said about yourself in it. That's a those the opioids they're dangerous, and we've both had a lot of friends in hockey, and he's now networked out and he does such a great job, uh, you know, talking about this and, and everything that he's doing. Uh, but you know, other players and other sports, and like you said, you know, your motocross and you know, the injuries, but, but we've seen so many guys suffer from this. And like you said, try to hide it, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's, it's awesome to see what Riles is doing and athletes for care. Um, it, it's really important. And it's, and it's fun to watch it grow and, and how much it's helping uh, former athletes and, and other people, not just former athletes. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'd love to help advocate in any possible way. I tell you, um, I wish I could have those seven years of my life back when I was addicted to opioids. Um, it was just waking hours of trying to figure out where am I going to get it next? And it was just, it just, you know, that's what, uh, I talked to a therapist one time. They're like, cause I said, I said, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do this my own way. I'm not going to go to like AA. I'm just going to, I need to figure out what's going on in my head first, first and foremost. And she's like, well, why do you take it? I'm like, because it feels great. <laughs> it's like a warm blanket wrapped around you and you feel yummy. She's like, that's yeah. the most honest answer I've ever heard. And I was like, well, you know, you, you want it. Um, but yeah, but you know, it was like the money finding it, it was just became such a ridiculous thing. And then hiding it from my wife, it was 
horrible. Yeah. It was like the, the worst years of my life. And uh, I'm glad I got a hold of that. But but thank you, uh, Riley, for, for all your great works in that, that, you know, in helping people heal naturally. Um, you actually, you share a birthday with one of my late great friends, Jerry Lewis, who founded Muscular Dystrophy Association. And I know that you're an advocate for multiple sclerosis, uh, diagnosis and treatment. So many people don't realize that muscular dystrophy and MS are two very different illnesses. Can you explain a little bit about multiple sclerosis and how you got involved? Yeah, so, um, you know, it goes back, geez, uh, maybe 2006 or so, somewhere in that range. Well, my sister was diagnosed with MS up in Canada. And that's, I, I think that was the moment that I kind of opened my mind to, um, to at least exploring alternatives because like she was told there's no, there's no cure. And then we don't know how, what caused it. And I, we keep hearing this in, in the Western world, right? It's like, there's no cure. We don't know what caused it. Like, well, like bullshit. Like, you know, like I, I would challenge that. So, you know, I just kind of went down these different rabbit holes of, uh, of understanding a little bit more and understanding maybe where it's ca- coming from and, um, and, and really trying to help my, my sister heal um, without having to be a slave to some of this, stuff that was being pushed down her throat and, and avoiding a wheelchair. Right. So I think from what I understand, there's lesions on the brain. Um, and, um, well, there's, uh, it's obviously a progression, right. Right. Um, and for her, it was, it started with numbness in the fingers and the weakness in the legs and, 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 and stuff like that. Um, you know, obviously the progression is you eventually can't walk and then you get in a wheelchair and you're really, you know, it, it can get pretty, pretty dark for some people. So uh, the idea was to try and to slow it down, to slow down the progression, uh, maybe perhaps even stop it, not necessarily even like, you know, cure it because um, it's, it, it was, it was more just like, let's slow down the, 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 the pace of this thing evolving. So, you know, again, it was going, a lot of the stuff we're talking about here, she's been using medical cannabis in, up in Canada for 10 years, you know, to help with the inflammation of you know, the lesions and, and stuff like that to help just, you know, calm the nervous system. Stress induces a lot of relapses and stuff like that, not just an MS, but other, you know, disease states, right. Stress is a killer itself. Yeah. Um, and the nutritional healing was a big one. It was really about all environment, right. The environment that we create for ourselves, like right here in the moment and di- environment with diet and the things that we put in and on our bodies. Right. So just bringing awareness to that. And um, when I was still playing with the flyers, I got involved with the multiple sclerosis association of America and did some charity work and raised some money, um, did put on some events with some flyers, uh, teammates and stuff like that. And then I guess since I, I retired and got out of uh, playing and my, I guess my perspective on some, some of these charities and, and what they're doing with some of the money has kind of changed. And I've, again, I've gone more down this natural path of, uh, you know, uh, uh, just my, just my belief system on how not just MS, but a, a lot of diseases are, you know, are, are created and, and the origins of them are, you know, environment and lifestyle and, and thinking and, you know, and, and ways to manage stress. Right. So there's all these things kind of combined and it's like, and really my, my job now is to teach as a whole, how to live a better, more wholesome life. Right. I, I teach yoga and, and integrate yoga with a lot of these plant medicines and, and nutritional healing, all this stuff, because I know some people think I'm crazy, but it's just like, when you start feeling, when you start feeling 
Good. Well, start <laughs> optimizing and then you start feeling better and better. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't want to go back to, to that. And, and then it's not just about, it is obviously not just about me, but I'm just speaking from my experience. And I see this with other disease states um, and people just start feeling better. You remove inflammation, you manage stress, you sleep better, you wake up in the morning feeling better, more productive, and your life just gets better. But you know, there's, there's certain um, laws that you have to follow, right. To get optimum results. And it's just kind of um, a different path than I once took towards disease states. And um, because it addresses more than just one specific disease state, you know, I think it addresses essentially all of them, right? I mean, they're all kind of connected in one way or shape or form. The body's imbalanced and it's the body's way of showing you that you're sick. It's symptoms, right? Yeah. Most people just ignore the symptoms. You just want to cover them up or you want a drug to push, push them down and suppress them. But it's the body's way of telling you there's something wrong. Like if you're constipated, um, well, it's, tell, it's telling you there's something wrong. It's either your diet or maybe a pharmaceutical drug that's causing constipation. It's not telling you to take another drug just to, 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 to avoid the constipation, you would, you would get to the root cause of it. What's the cheese or, you know, the dairy or whatever it is that's causing it. And then you can start, you know, you know, yeah, doctors are so uh, yeah, fast to prescribe a, a medicine on top of a medicine on top of medicine. Yep. And they're like, this may cause slight memory loss. Like, well, yeah, right, that's not yeah. good. Or suicidal ideation or death, you know? And it's yeah. like, okay, well, there's gotta be a little, if this causes death, you should stop taking it. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If right. you have died from yeah. taking this drug, stop taking it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. And you, you remind me so much of when, uh, a producing partner of mine, Brent, uh, so, sorry, uh, Trent Garrett. You guys look like you guys could be brothers. It's unbelievable. And I, you know, he also teaches yoga. He's a successful actor. You guys have the same kind of length hair. It's unreal. So we'll have to all get together one of these times when we're out there and uh, on the East Coast. Oh, I'm on the East Coast, but he lives in Austin, Texas. But, oh. but uh, so you know, you certainly seem like someone who's always challenging himself. What is on your to-do list? What do you want to tackle? I'm going to ask both of you guys this question. Derek, why don't you ask that? Answer that first. Uh, um, you know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I'm not really looking to get back into hockey. Um, like I used to be, um, I just enjoy coaching my son now and spending time with him and, uh, just pushing our uh, podcast. We're having so much fun with that. And I have a little business uh, here in the studio slash shop. Um, that's really about it for me. I'm just enjoying uh, being, I guess, semi-retired um, and spending time with my son. He'll be eight next month and I'm coaching him and it's, it's just been a blast. And Riley and I started our podcast, not knowing, you know, really what we were doing. I'm not saying we do now, but uh, we're, so we're 76, we're 76 episodes in and a lot of really cool things have come our way from it. And it seems to be building. So that's, uh, I'm really focused on that and I'm, I'm just enjoying it so much. Great. And, and what date does your podcast come out? Yeah. <laughs> Great question. Usually Tuesdays, Usually. but with players, especially if they're coming in, their schedules are kind of, you know, they could change day to day. So sometimes it's on a Wednesday. Sometimes it is a normal Tuesday. So usually Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll, we kind of like let people know through our social media, like which day it's dropping. Yeah. Make sure you guys check out Nasty Knuckles. Riley, what's next for you? 
Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm not sure exactly if it's next or if it's just like part of the process, but I think it's just staying on this path, um, you know, the alternative healing path, but then, you know, using the sports platform as nasty knuckles, you know, around players, we have these honest conversations, like really trying to humanize players. So a lot of what we talk about, you know, especially guys that are still playing, is, is, you know, the recovery element and all these uh, real life things we're talking about. So there's a way for, you know, me to kind of connect on the, some of these personal things that I'm doing um, through, through hockey. So I think it's, 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 it's huge for, for me to stay close to hockey because that's been, you know, a part of my life, but it is now the vehicle is just a little bit different, you know, but it's, it's serving its purpose, but I, I just want to keep, you know, optimizing and, 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 and being able to put myself in situations to help more and more people. Again, it's just starting with, you know, my network in, in the Philly area and the Flyers and, you know, and the, we're connected to a disabled veteran hockey team that the Flyers um, help fund called the Philadelphia Flyers Warriors hockey team. And we do some stuff with them. And it's just like, I'm just trying to, you know, earn enough street credit where I'm not looked upon as like that, that, that crazy guy that used to get punched in the face. And now he's talking about all these like healing modalities, like actually like getting to a point where, you know, people actually understand the vision, understand what I'm actually um, talking about. So they can actually, um, you know, implement this into their lives. Cause really this is all, this is what it's all about, right. Is helping increase quality of life and, and being a ripple and just, um, and hoping that we can make it, make a change, be the change. Yeah. Now you, uh, you said you teach yoga. When did you start? When did you start doing yoga? I started, I started teaching two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been practicing since I retired. I always say like integration or uh, yoga is integration for all these things we're talking about, right? Medicine, these plant medicines are great, but if you're not doing the work, you, you kind of stay, you stay complacent, you, you, you stay still. So, um, you know, yoga has been a huge vehicle for me just to, you know, to, to take care of the physical body and the mind and move trauma along. So it's very complementary to these plant medicines. Um, and I've really enjoyed teaching because, um, it's, it's, it's very therapeutic. It's hard to explain. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're practicing, you can kind of hide in the sense that, you can let your mind go, you know, you're supposed to be trying to tap into the present moment, but you can let it go and kind of flake out and then you can bring it back in. But when you're teaching, you have to be ultra present, right? That's 65 minutes that you're teaching. You can't flake out because then you're, you know, you screw up the cues and then you throw everybody off. So it's, it's almost like a meditation for me. So it's very therapeutic. Um, like, but hold it, hold it. Yeah. One more <laughs> second. <laughs> he's right. also in there. He's also in there, Jacob, with it. What is it? hundred something degrees. Oh, so you're doing the, the, the hot yoga. Hot, yeah. 110 degrees, 45% humidity. Yeah. So it's a, it's a smoke box. So, you know, part of, you know, again, part of, uh, you know, healing and, and staying healthy is eliminating toxins, right? I mean, you do it through, you know, urine, stool, sweat, and breath. So naturally, you know, when, when you're, you're, you're moving in heat, you're pushing out impurities and, and you're really, you're cleansing the physical body. And, you know, that's the, the, the starting point. And then, you know, then you move on to the mind and, and the breath. Right. So it's super profound. It's ancient. It's ancient. I think just the Western world's bastardized yoga. So you think of most people think of yoga and they just think of like, you know, a good looking girl in, in, in tight pants. And, Is that you know, such a like bad thing? Hour dog. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that vision, but um, you know, <laughs> yoga is so much more than the asana, the physical practice, right? I think most people don't realize that 
the physical practice of yoga was to prime the physical body to sit in meditation, right? It's all about the mind, controlling right. the mind. I think that's why we have all these mental health issues. Most people um, don't control their mind. The mind controls them. And that's where, you know, this is where um, it gets a little bit hairy. So it's, it's all, it's all connected, right? It's all reeling it back in and, and just being more aware, more conscious of your thinking, your behaviors. And then, you know, the physical practice just helps refine it all. So it's been, it's been super, super helpful. And, um, something that I'll be uh, doing the rest of my life. Cause it's just, uh, it's just so fitting, um, for all the stuff that I'm involved in. I mean, it, is there anybody like Riley Cote is my yoga teacher? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. and how much do you charge? <laughs> That's going to be extra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, right. No, actually my vision with, with, with the yoga is to to do it on a donation based or for free. Right. I mean, it's hard, it's hard, you know, on a spiritual level, it's hard to charge someone for something like that. Right. Yes. Where I'm, where I'm teaching, they are running a business, but at some point I would like to do something where we can include more people because the, you know, the, the price of admission for hot yoga is, 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 is too high in my opinion, or there's something like this needs to be introduced in a more, say um donation based manner of like you know like we we don't sell yoga we you know we we, we practice it, and teach yeah. it right because it's because uh, it is a spiritual practice right right now this question is going to be for the both of you guys um and everybody gets to take a ride in the jacob young time machine you get to go back and if you could give derek derek you give yourself 15 year old self what advice would you give to 15 year old derek oh 15 year old. <laughs> Ooh, uh, <laughs> let me think for a second. Uh, I guess I, I would say, uh, oh man, that's a tough question, Jacob. Um, 15 years old. I was doing a lot. <laughs> hey, Riles, you're probably thinking the exact same thing I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. Uh, girls, I'm thinking about girls. Uh, yeah, yeah. no, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I would say, um, God, I guess maybe thinking about college more seriously, academic wise, I didn't start doing that until my junior, senior year. Uh, that's about the best thing I could think of. I, I ended up, I did well in school, but I just did enough to get by my you know, when I was around that age. And then as I got a little older, my, my last two years, I went, I transferred to a school that was really big on grades and ath- athletics. Um, and it helped me get a scholarship in, in college, but I think, I guess that would be it. Maybe pay more attention to my schoolwork at that point in time. Keep the nose in the books. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How about you? I was putting it, I was putting it other places, maybe. <laughs> or trying to <laughs> failing school on purpose to stay in school now. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Riley? Uh I, I think for me it's uh it's uh working smart. So, you know, from from as long as I can remember growing up, like there's two there was two pillars in my household, like my from my parent parents' teachings. It was it was work hard and have a good attitude, right? It's two things I can remember. I think I took working hard to an you know an absolute extreme where I neglected to work smart. 
you know, looking at my hockey career, it was just like, oh, you know, it would be like a hundred miles this way. And then it would like have to go a hundred miles back the other way, because if I would have been a little more smart and a little more patient, I didn't probably have to do that extra work. So, um, but taking that into the real world, um, just, yeah, just, just trying to navigate the world a little more skillfully instead of being so rigid with it. Um, so yes, you have to work hard, you have to hustle, but I think, um, yeah, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is you have to be a little bit wiser with how hard you work. It's working a little smarter. So that'd be the advice for myself. Great advice. <laughs> now, my last question for you guys, and this comes from my sponsor and I, I just, I'm, I just love this story. So Boys Town, which has been around over a hundred years, um, years and years ago, right after the great depression, when Boys Town was being founded and they were bringing in this ragtag group of kids who were these kids that were just families had given up on them during the great depression. Like you got to go find work. Kids as you know, young as seven, eight, nine years old. And they were literally robbing people. And, um, father Flanagan always said, you know, there's no such thing as a, a bad child, only bad parenting, bad education. Um, but their motto is he ain't heavy. He's my brother. And at one point they didn't have all the facilities and they didn't have all the equipment to help all the kids that maybe had special needs. And there was one kid that couldn't walk. And so the boys would take turns taking lit carrying this boy to their sports events to class. And one day father said, isn't he heavy? And he says, he's not heavy father. He's my brother. Meaning in our lives, we've all had someone at some point carry us. Who's carried you Riley? I've, I've had um, a bunch of people carry me, honestly. Um, different times in my life, different, different types of situations. Um, my God, I think nasties carried me. Um, you know, I've had coaches carry me, parents carry me, um, you know, wife carry me. Um, you know, again, it's just different, different moments in, in your life where you need different types of support. Um, so I'm grateful for it all. Right. I mean, it, it, I think one of the things I've learned was to ask for help, you know, it's, it's, you shouldn't be ashamed to ask for help. Um, in fact, it's an act of empowerment to ask for help because I think most of us, you know, in our generation have been trained to suppress everything and to tough it out. Right. And I think there's, yeah, there's an element of toughing, toughing some, some things out. Um, but asking for help is certainly not a sign of weakness. So I think, uh, you know, to answer your question, is not one specific person. I mean, it was, I'm looking back and it's just like, there's been times in my life where even if it's just a little, a little support or just being an ear, you know, in a time of crises, um, you know, there's been a lot of people along the way that have helped me. So grateful for it all. Awesome. How about you, Derek? Yeah. Um, like Riles said, I, I could name a, a few different people in different situations I went through probably, uh, looking back, I say it's one of the hardest things was, was not being with a team anymore. And, you know, some people I had to lean on Riley being one and I, uh, you kind of find out who your true friends are, uh, when things, you know, some things happen. And, uh, but overall my, m most of my life, my mom, it's probably that person, um, the most, but again, like Riley said, different times, it's, it's different people, but I would say my mom has been the biggest uh, person that's carried me. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I want to say thanks so much guys for joining me today and for all the great information, of course, about cannabis and natural healing. The awareness can help so many athletes and really anyone looking for alternative to the dangerous medical pharmaceuticals that are out there. It was a pleasure to meet you both Riles and, and of course, Derek enjoy the rest of the Stanley cup finals. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's about all the time that we have for today. Real Conversations with Jacob Young is sponsored by Boys Town. And Boys Town, their slogan is, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. For over 100 years, Boys Town has been saving children, healing families. And they're only one call away. They're always there to help. So please go to boystown.org for all the details on how to access Boys Town's health services. Or simply go to yourlifeyourvoice.org. If you are in need of immediate help or in crisis, Call the trained counselors at the Boys Town National Hotline at 800-448-3000. 800-448-3000. Don't feel like talking? Text VOICE to 20121. Thanks for joining me on Real Conversations. I'm Jacob Young. Till next time, love yourself and love each other. Yeah.